Good morning, North Central. How are you? Okay, I need you guys to help me with a little activity. Are you up for helping me? If you have your cell phone, pull it out. If you don't have your cell phone, kudos for removing distractions from your life in chapel. But for those of you who have your cell phones, pull them out. We're going to do a little exercise to do a little demonstration of something. Look around the room. Find someone in the room, one or two people, maybe three, whose numbers you have. You're going to send them a text message, okay? And this is what you're going to send them in that text message. I want you to just put the answer to this question. What is the greatest challenge facing young godly leaders today? What is the greatest challenge facing young godly leaders today? Text your answer to that question to somebody else in the room really quickly. You can do two or three people if you want. Some of you are very wordy in your answers. <laughs> Give me one, one word, a sentence, not a whole paper. You could write a whole paper on this, right? So just the simple answer. Okay, give me a thumbs up when you've sent it. Awesome. Okay, now what I want you to do is turn to one or two people next to you and share with them verbally your answer, and you can share, if you got a text message from somebody, the other answers, okay? So take two minutes, turn to a couple people beside you, and share your answer and any messages that were texted to you. Okay, I need someone to share with me either their answer or one that someone in their group shared. Anybody have a really good one that you want to share quick? Somebody, come on. Right here. Okay, what was one that you guys talked about? Uh, lack of truth. Ooh, lack of truth. Thank you. You are setting me up today to do this. Anybody else? Over here, somebody. Okay, lack of truth was one? Uh, temptation. Ooh, temptation. Yes, there are many temptations. Okay, over here. Identity. Ooh, very good. Oh, my goodness. You guys could teach this whole thing today. Identity. Somebody up in the balcony, shout something out. Peer pressure. Comparison. Very good. Let's get somebody over on this side. Something that came up. Challenge to godly young leaders. Okay. Fear of what people think. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. Okay. Very good. Okay. You guys did awesome. You can put the cell phones away. <laughs> okay. I want to do this activity for two purposes. One, to kind of set up our topic for today, which is what are the challenges of being a godly young leader today? How do we navigate some of these challenges that were excellent that you threw out as well as others in trying to seek God and serve him? The other, one I wanted to, the other reason I want to do this activity is to demonstrate um, the flow of information, right? So someone up there in the corner, in a matter of seconds, could have texted someone down here, shared it with someone sitting next to them, and then possibly that person might have said it into the microphone, okay? When I was a student <clears throat> years ago, um, we still wrote notes in class on actual, you know, paper and pencil notes. <laughs> My parents were missionaries or are missionaries. When I was a freshman here, I couldn't even 
email them because we didn't have internet service where they're living now. Now up in the mountain villages where they still don't have running water, guess what they have? Cell phones, right? The world has changed dramatically in the last 20 years. And what's happening is you all are leading in a context where us, your teachers, your parents, your leaders have never led. And so the challenges of us teaching you or mentoring you or equipping you for a world in which we have not led is huge. So today we're going to talk a little bit about this phenomena, okay? Um, Peter Drucker, he said, wrote in 1993, every few hundred years in history there occurs a sharp transformation. Society rearranges itself, its worldview, its basic values, its social and political structure, its arts, its key institutions, and we are currently living through such a transformation. History shows us that every couple hundred years societies undergo kind of a massive earthquake. I was talking to a missionary in Mexico City yesterday about earthquakes, right? Earthquakes that bring things that are, have been standing for years and years down, and then something new emerges out of the ashes. We build something new. And right now, you are the generation. I call you a Daniel generation, because you are the ones who are going to build in this new arena that's developing, this new period of history. So let's look at a few other ways. I could talk for hours about all the changes, but let's just talk about a few of the changes to give a little illustration. I'm gonna do a little quiz here. So get ready to raise your hands. We're gonna do a little multiple choice. For many generations, students have learned sitting in classrooms in rows with a teacher in front lecturing to them, okay? And they would download that information, take notes, and then walk out and put it into practice. Nowadays, we have many classrooms that are driven by student-centered, collaborative, technology-driven um, uh, technology ways of learning, and students are often interacting with one another, participating, doing projects, giving feedback in the moment. So I want you to raise your hand if the majority of your high school experience was sitting in rows, listening to lectures, and taking notes. Raise your hands if that was the majority of your high school experience. Good, put down your hands. Raise your hands if you, the majority of your high school experience was you had class projects, you had team activities, you had collaboration, you were maybe not sitting in rows in your classes. Raise your hands, okay? About two thirds and a third, which demonstrates the earthquake, right? <laughs> Where we have two different ways of functioning that are happening simultaneous in our society. Some schools have transitioned and others are still working their way there, okay? Decision-making. Somebody said um, truth and how we understand truth. For generations, we've made decisions based on science, logic, and reason. For the history people in the room, you know we had this little thing called the age of reason, scientific revolution, okay, that has driven the way we've made decisions. So traditionally, we've made decisions objectively based on science, reason, logic, and facts. But we are moving into a season where we are making decisions more based on our emotions, our experiences, stories of people that we hear, images that we see, and how our kind gut reaction um, responds to a situation. So if you are more of the objective decision maker, raise your hand. Facts, logic, and reason. If you're going to make a decision, you're going to study all of the facts and make a really logical read. Okay, if you, very good, probably about a third. If you make your decisions based on that gut feeling, your experiences, the stories of people, raise your hand. Okay, so again, about a third and two thirds there. 
okay? Let's look at leadership. Mmm, leadership. <laughs> Traditionally, we've expected leaders to have all the important information and to make critical decisions. Okay, the leaders had to be the people who possessed the information. They were the ones who everybody came to for their decisions, and then they would dole out all of the uh, wisdom and maturity, and everybody else would go do it, right? Staniel, Stanley McChrystal has written a wonderful book, Team of Teams. Anybody read it? I think it's one of the best leadership books out there right now. Read it or take my graduate-level class, and I use it there. <laughs> um, but he talks about how leadership has changed, and he uses the analogy of a chess master. Traditionally, leaders have been like chess masters who they make all the pawns, all the little um, figures move, right? And they make all the decisions. He said that leadership is moving to people being more like gardeners, leaders being more gardening, where they set up the environment, they make that the, sure that the soil is right, that the water is right, that the sunlight is right, so that each plant can thrive in a way that reflects their skills, their abilities, their talents, okay? So raise your hand if you go into a setting and expect a leader to be a chess master, giving all the directions, okay? Raise your hand if you go into a setting and expect the leader to be a gardener and create an environment where you can thrive in your gifts, okay? So we've had a huge shift in how leadership is viewed. Let's do one more. And you mentioned it over here, truth. We have moved from science to tolerance in how we understand truth. So we've moved from the age where we looked for facts to prove that we were right. We had an apologetic in our faith where if we could just lay out the argument in such a way as to convince someone that the Bible was real and it was true, we could win their hearts to a season in which tolerance has become the highest virtue in the land. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Tolerance, by its definition traditionally, has meant to respect and understand people who are different than us, to live in harmony and to respect and understand them. And nowadays, the way we define tolerance is that we must accept and affirm every point of view as being equal. Okay, that's how we define tolerance. And one of the challenges of your generation is that it is culturally unacceptable to say someone is wrong, right? Because with tolerance, we've moved from an absolute truth that could be proven scientifically to multiple truths that are self-determined and held as equal with none being superior, which goes back to what someone said about identity, it becomes very, very hard to have a strong sense of conviction and identity if you cannot say that you are right and someone else is wrong. Does anyone feel me on this? Okay. I believe your generation has one of the biggest challenges in being godly young leaders that we've seen in the last couple of centuries in America. My heart is for you because this is our challenge. Traditionally, we've used things like the Truth Project or the Romans Road or the Four Spiritual Laws to create this argument about our faith and to prove that something was true. But today, we cannot do that. It, it is not what works. It is not what resonates. So often, we're looking to build relationships and connections, right? Because people make decisions based on emotion and experience. You know what I'm so excited about? 
The Holy Spirit is into giving experiences, amen? He's into working in our emotions. The Bible has lots of good meat and a lot of good facts that also, though God works in our hearts, not just our heads. So your generation is one that needs to be equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit like never before. So let's do our quiz. Are you more likely in speaking to someone about the gospel to use reason and logic to convey the gospel? Raise your hand if that's your natural approach. Okay, very good. So about a fourth of you. If you're more likely to use a personal relationship and experiences, raise your hand. Okay. So you see how dramatically it shifted in just 20 years, how I was taught to convey the truth versus what is natural to us today. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Daniel chapter 1. What's so exciting to me about this period of history is that we're not the first ones to go through a major upheaval in our culture. And every time that we see that there's a major cultural upheaval, we see God doing something amazing in the midst of it. So if you look back a couple hundred years with the Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, a couple of things called the Great Awakening followed on those to that major change. A couple hundred years before that, we had this little event called the European Renaissance, which propelled Western civilization out of the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages. We had this other thing called the Protestant Reformation. Anyone ever heard of that? <laughs> okay, that came out of that period where we actually started to get the Bible and everyone started to read it for themselves. So in this day and age, as we're navigating this cultural transition, the cement is wet. And whatever we do with the cement right now, as it starts to set, will be the foundation for the upcoming decades of God's work here in our culture and in our nation, okay? So it rests, though, on what I call the Daniel generation. How many of you have taken Old Testament survey already? Let's see your hands. How many of you read all of your textbooks for Old Testament? <laughs> okay, so you took Old Testament survey. In Old Testament survey, you will probably remember what was happening in the life of Daniel around the time of Daniel, okay? Uh, Judah and Israel had split. It was after the King Solomon. Uh, Israel was the uh, northern kingdom. Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrians, and now Judah was the last remaining place of the people of God where they were living in their promised land. Jerusalem was there. The temple that Solomon had built was there. It was, it was their homeland. They were so proud and so excited to be there. But they got distracted, and they started worshiping other gods. And if you read in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you'll see Jeremiah and Ezekiel speaking to them about turning from the gods, the idols that they are worshiping, and turning back to God. And in one verse in Ezekiel, they're like, we will not turn back. We will worship the queen of heaven. Whew. Okay? Blatantly defying God. And so God sends his, his discipline, his loving discipline as he does, in the form of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it's important to note that years before Nebuchadnezzar came, King Josiah had realized that the people of God were not following God. Okay, he had discovered the scrolls in the temple, and he tried to bring reforms. He tried to bring the people back to God. He taught about the law of the Lord. And so there was a voice in that nation of the law of the Lord. And I believe for those of us who are older leaders, our job is to be the Josiahs and the Jeremiahs that challenge you, the Daniels, to be faithful. And so what we see in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 1, is years after Josiah had died, and one of his uh, 
um, descendants was the king, Jehoiakim, that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of the God, of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Who delivered Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand? Who? God. When I, tra- I, I travel and speak on these topics in a lot of different places, and often I encounter Christian leaders who are like Chicken Little. The sky is falling. Have you ever heard that? We have abandoned truth. We are not following the Lord. Our country is in a dismal state. I can imagine the leaders in Judah saying exactly the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar has invaded. He's taken articles from the temple of our God to the temple in Babylon. Oh my, the sky is falling. But who orchestrated it? Right here in verse 1 we see, it says, and the Lord, verse 2, I'm sorry, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with articles from the temple. God is always at work. I want you to remember that. Whatever you hear in the news, whatever you hear in social media, whatever you hear from leaders in your life who intend well, who say that the sky is falling, this was the sky falling. The most evil man in the world invading the temple of God. And yet it said God allowed it. God is always at work. And what we see is that he chooses Daniel's to be a part of his his, um, purposes. So let's just keep reading here briefly in chapter 1, and then we're going to delve into some lessons that we can find from Daniel. I believe for those of you who are 30 and younger, Daniel is a role model who is modeling what leadership, godly leadership looks like in an ungodly culture, okay? Because he grew up in Judah and Jerusalem. That's where his parents were from, the priests were from, the leaders were from. But now he found himself in Babylon, a foreign nation where there were at least 50 temples to uh, to false gods compared to the one temple in Jerusalem. He found himself in the most extravagant building on the face of the earth at that time, Nebuchadnezzar's palace, in a whole different world that nothing in Judah or Jerusalem could have prepared him for, and yet God found him faithful. And I believe the lessons of Daniel are the lessons that this generation of Daniels today needs. Okay, in verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young man without any physical defect, handsome, knowing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Sounds like North Central students to me, doesn't it? Right? (laughs) Okay. Um, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, Babylonian names. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So let's look at some lessons that we can find from Daniel. First of all, when Daniel found himself in Babylon... 
He had to understand the times in which he was living, okay? There was three responses that were occurring in Judah at that point. One was to hold on to the temple and not let go. I will not let go of the way things have been as the temple came crashing down on top of them, right? There were the powders who sat in exile and said, we don't like it here. I don't like the way this is going. And Jeremiah writes to them, you need to prosper where, I have put, where God has put you because as this place prospers, so will you. Daniel was one who found himself in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Nebuchadnezzar stripped him of his name, his language, his family, his culture, his privilege and entitlement as a nobleman in Jerusalem. And he was most likely castrated because we have no record of his family. Um, And in Jewish, Jewish culture, we see genealogies everywhere. It was critical. Your legacy was huge to your identity, okay? Daniel was stripped of everything. He had every reason to pout, to say this isn't fair, to say I don't deserve this and I'm not going to serve here. And yet Daniel identified that God was at work and he served. We see in 1 Chronicles 12, uh, 32, a verse that says, from Issachar came men to David who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And I believe God's raising up young men and women who are like Daniel and like the sons of Issachar who look around and understand what God is doing in the world around them, and they engage that even if it costs them everything. Okay, second, first we need to understand the time. Second, we have to know the law of our God. We live in a time where many are abandoning the Bible in an effort to be more Christ-like. Can I say that again? We live in a time where many are abandoning the Bible in an effort to be more Christ-like. If you're going to survive in this day and time and you're going to lead in a godly manner, you have to know the word inside and out. Not just snippets of it, you have to study it. We have an eight-second attention span in America right now. We don't spend time in the word. Daniels are going to have to break past eight seconds, okay, of a ping on your cell phone with the verse of the day. You're going to have to get in the word. Okay, choose godly companions. When Daniel was confronted with death, if he could not interpret the dream, later on, I don't have time to read all these verses, but later on, when he was confronted with being murdered, he went back and he said, King, give me time. He went back and he immediately went to Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I was like, guys, seek the Lord with me. We are going to die if we do not understand what this dream is and the interpretation of it. Find those people. I still have those people that were my friends at North Central, who we prayed in the prayer rooms, who we wept after chapels, who we were here late at praise gatherings, who are now my most faithful friends who still challenge me, encourage me. Find the people who are godly and hang out with them. Okay, practice discipline. Daniel prayed three times a day. Every day, it was predictable. Daniel was so disciplined in following the law of the Lord and seeking his God that even an edict from the king that he would die if he did not bow down to him, could not pers- or that if he bowed down to his God, um, did not per- uh, dissuade him. But habits and discipline are something that have to be developed over time. You're not going to suddenly develop that discipline when the king's edict comes out. You have to be practicing every day so that you can do it when the king's edict dictates otherwise. Here's another one. Serve the king that God puts in your life. Daniel had every reason not to serve the king. He had every reason to criticize the king, undermine him, uh, 
just be horrific, rebellious towards him. And yet Daniel served the king humbly, the most wicked man in the world. Daniel served humbly. God is going to put some of you in places with kings who are not worthy of service, but your service to them is going to bring them to their knees, declaring that your God is the one and only true God, which is what happened with Daniel. Live a trustworthy life. A lot of Daniel's co-workers didn't like him. In Daniel 6, verse 4, it says, At this, the administrators tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They could find no fault in him. Young people, we, God does not call us to be perfect. He, we are to be perfect as he is perfect. He understands we're not perfect but living a trustworthy life is something that we have to aspire to. There is grace when we fail. There is forgiveness when we're imperfect. But we constantly need to be pursuing God and his ways and his holiness so that we can live above reproach. Lastly, seek understanding. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, we find Daniel reading the letters of Jeremiah in order to understand his times. We know that Daniel probably absorbed um, part of the knowledge and the uh, revival, <laughs> the restructuring that Josiah did in his days. He brought that with him into Babylon, and then he continued to pursue the wisdom of people who had gone before him like Jeremiah. So find out those mentors, those professors, those pastors, those teachers that you can come alongside and seek understanding. Read books of men and women of God who are going to be able to give you insight into what's happening. Quickly, we need, so just to review, lessons we can pull from Daniel as a Daniel generations to understand the times, to know the law of our God, to choose godly companions, to practice discipline, to serve the king, to live a trustworthy life, and to seek understanding. A few weeks ago, um, in a school in a district next to where we live, a teacher made all the Christian students stand up and apologize for being oppressive. Okay? It's happening, people. Yours is the generation that is going to have to choose if you're going to stand when all others bow, and if you're going to bow when it's being prohibited, as Daniel and his friends. But you know what? I believe God is going to allow you to be a generation that sees the fourth man in the furnace and the angel in the lion's den. Amen? But you have to be prepared. So take this time while you're here at North Central to soak up all you can, to invest your time wisely so that you can be prepared to be a Daniel generation in the season that you are called to lead in. Amen. Can I pray for you? Lord, I just thank you right now for the Daniels that are in this group. Lord, you know who they are, and I just pray that today uh, your word would just resonate with their hearts, that, God, you would give them a boldness and a courage that they are going to need to lead in a very unique season in our history. They get to lead in a time when the cement is wet, God, and where their impact is going to have a ripple effect for generations. So I just pray that you would anoint them, that you would give them insight and discernment as you gave to Daniel, that you would give them dreams in the night and visions in the day, God, that they would be faithful to pray and to fast and to study your word, that you would surround them with godly companions, Lord, who would build them up as iron sharpens iron, God, and stir one another onto good works. Give them the knowledge that they need to lead in a time and a place that is not like that 
of their parents or their teachers, Lord. Bless them, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Bless you.